What in the holy hexadecimal did I just catch my kids watching? I walk into my room and there's these crazy murder puppets spazzing out everywhere. But then I stood there, utterly dumbfounded by a show that looks like the amazing world of gumball dropped acid, and somehow I wanted to see more. And that, boys and girls, is how I was introduced to Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. Now, let me preface this by saying that I try really hard not to look at other people's theories when I decide to work on a title, because I don't want to be influenced by someone else's opinions when I'm watching something new. And I definitely don't want to bother with a video that just rehashes and reserves the same ideas that somebody else has already figured out. There have been a couple of occasions where another vlogger has inspired me to make a spinoff video like The Theorizer or Super Carlin Brothers, which actually inspired me to start this channel. But when I made counter videos, it was because I had more to add that they didn't cover or I had my own ideas altogether. But then last month, I watched a film theory video about Zion being a matrix within a matrix, which is a theory that my dad casually came up with in 2003 after we walked out of the theater seeing Reloaded for the first time. And I had put that on my list for theories to explore for this channel, only to find out that film theory had beat me to it and done a much better job than I would have been able to do, I'm sure. So my aim is to always share my original thoughts, but I guess some topics are overly obvious or great minds just think alike. Now, I have stayed away from Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared theories, but my kids have told me that this show has theories for days. So fingers crossed, I'll have at least a few new perspectives or details to offer up because I already took the notes and dagnabbit, we do not waste ideas in this house. I'm not scrapping another video. All right, let's talk about June 19th. When I told my kids, hey, I'm going to do a theory on this, so button up your lips and don't tell me any of the stuff you've read about this show online, they decide they're going to call out and laugh about June 19th means Father's Day. I'm going to assume that everybody watching this video already knows it, but Father's Day is the third Sunday of June, and it is not consistently on June 19th. It changes every year, like Easter or Thanksgiving. It actually was Father's Day in 2016, though, and I know that for certain because Archer here was born that weekend, and I got left at the hospital for a Father's Day fishing trip. And days trapped alone in the hospital move like dog years. But June 19th, 2016 doesn't seem to be anything relevant for the show in terms of content on the screen. But the finale episode, episode 6, was actually released on June 19th, 2016. Okay, so there's the Father's Day tie-in, I guess. Yet the show repeatedly shows June 19th and sometimes the year 1955, and they arrange it as 1906-55, which is the British way of writing dates. And the duck guy sounds British to me, plus there are pound signs shown throughout the series. So we get enough suggestions to know that this is a British show. And it turns out that June 19th, 1955 would have been Father's Day, if not for one little issue. Father's Day unofficially started in the U.S. on June 19, 1910. However, Father's Day was not a nationally recognized holiday until 1972 when Richard Nixon made it so. 
Now, that's important because the UK didn't adopt Father's Day until after the US made it an official holiday, which means June 19th, 1955, was just another manic Sunday in the Kingdom of Britannia, thereby giving the date no significance to a British show. Okay, so then what happened on June 19th, 1955? Well, some sporting stuff happens in the U.S., like Mickey Mantle getting his 100th home run, which is probably the man with a baseball bat reference. But a lesser-known event happened in England as well. A faulty torpedo erupted and sank the HMS Sidon, killing 13 people and seriously injuring seven others. Actually, scratch that. The torpedo went off on June 16th, but reports say that the submarine didn't fully sink until the 19th. And there were rescue and recovery missions going on until the 23rd, meaning there could have been people trapped on the HMS Sidon for several days. And since it was a submarine, I imagine that it was not impossible for people to survive during that time while the ship was underwater. Because when there is a problem with a submarine, most of them have compartments that will close off so that the whole thing doesn't become unusable. And it will hopefully save a few lives. You want to know another fun fact? 190655 is also how the military would write that date out. Another really interesting note, in May of 1955, just a few weeks before June 19th, Jim Henson first hit airwaves with his show Sam and Friends, which is where Kermit the Frog originated. This was probably the first time puppets were regularly on television, and that show definitely played around with singing and incredibly creative programming. Meaning it's very likely that by June of 1955, the UK would have been hearing whispers about this show and potentially trying to create a version for themselves if they didn't have Sam and Friends available to watch themselves already. I want to fixate on the yellow guy for a few minutes now. In episode two, we see a poster with yellow guy's face on it and it says wanted dead or alive. Then in episode three, there's a poster on the tree that says still missing last seen June 19th. And later again, they're shown as missing on a milk carton. Episode three is also where we get the weird little song about Michael. I've gotten the impression that Yellow Guy was Michael and that Michael's last name started with a D because Yellow Guy appears to have a D on his overalls. And if you didn't know already, everything in the military goes by a last name basis. So they would all call him by that last name. All his clothes would have that last name on it. His first name wouldn't exist anywhere except on paperwork. But Michael and Yellow Guy look vaguely similar to me, like that could be the human version of Yellow Guy. And Yellow Guy's lack of social graces and common sense could imply that he grew up in a way that restrained him from developing properly in those areas. So if Yellow Guy was Michael and Michael felt unloved and unwanted by his father enough to run away, it's likely to assume that he would have survived by stealing, which could earn him a wanted poster, eventually putting him in front of a judge, and a very, very common practice back in the day was to send wayward youth into the military instead of prison with the hope that the military would put the young man on the right path in life. Now, apparently, some of the naval vessels back in World War I, the K-class, were steam-powered, meaning you would likely shovel coal into them, or, as it would look to somebody who is not very well-educated, gravel. And you would do that in an almost identical manner to how Malcolm eats in Episode 3. 
And no, the HMS Sidon was not a steam-powered submarine, but naval members often moved around to different ships throughout their career or for various training reasons. So it's a safe bet that if Yellow Guy were in the Navy, he probably had some experience shoveling fuel into an engine. The Sidon was an S-class sub, though, and those were diesel-powered, but a lot of their hydraulics would use oil, which means an explosion on an S-class sub could potentially fill compartments with oil. Or to put it more clearly, sailors who were on that vessel when it exploded could have been drowning in oil. So we have a submarine explosion that matches the right date, the first Muppet show that's in the correct time frame for these characters to know that it's out there, and we have a potential motive that could put at least one character in the military. So let's just stretch our minds and assume that Red Guy, Yellow Guy, and Duck Guy all know each other through the British Navy, and they were three of the severely injured survivors in the HMS Sidon sinking. Then everything in Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared would be explainable through the characters being hospitalized in a comatose state, and no one has been able to identify who they are. If all three of the characters had been fans of Sam and Friends, which back then, there weren't a lot of TV options, so it's safe to assume that they would have all at least known about it, that could explain why they see themselves as these crazy puppet characters, because it's something playing on television in or near their rooms, or something that people around them are talking about. And judging by how time behaves in episode two, I think it's safe to assume that they stayed in a coma for many years, which means they could have heard an array of crazy things that their brains translated in weird and random ways. There's actually a lot to support this theory. If you notice in episodes one and five, the show takes place in a kitchen, but neither kitchen has a door, which symbolically represents the characters being trapped. And this is completely intentional because the final kitchen we see in episode six shows a door on the right side. So at least in episodes one and five, it's implied that the characters cannot get out of the space that they're in. They're trapped. And the kitchen sets in episodes one and six show a boat painting on the wall, which isn't exactly a submarine, but I say that that's close enough of a connection to draw that they're related. In episode three, we're shown a few different butterflies. Duck guy calls one a bee and yellow guy calls the other a baby pigeon. Why would they have such obviously wrong answers? Well, it's actually horrifying how little we know about comas today. In some cases, the patient has woken up and said that they were perfectly conscious the entire time, but they were not able to move their bodies or make a sound. Less than a decade ago, a man spent 23 years in a coma and woke up in 2009, despite every medical test saying that he was brain dead. So we have no clue how much a comatose person may be aware of the world around them. And things like the television, radio, and even singing has been used as unconventional therapy methods to try and wake up coma patients. Which means if we had three different people in one hospital room that were all in comas and they all heard a flapping noise on the radio, their brains may interpret the sound as being different creatures. Almost like an inkblot test for your ears, where your mind is picturing the first thing that can make that noise and it creates a dream world around it. The giant computer system in episode six even shows a metronome piece, which could account for the clock-like ticking sounds during the song in episode two. 
That may have been when that machine was hooked up and they just started hearing that noise for the first time and made something out of it in their minds. That would also explain why the sets so frequently change because we're watching it from the various perspectives of red guy, yellow guy, and duck guy's minds. So switching between puppets, 3D animation, and 2D animation, and having all these different locations is just because we're switching which character's coma dream we're following. Then I found it really odd that in episode 4, Red Guy starts to realize that the digital world is broken, and as he exits the computer, he follows a cord into another room, sees that his life is a television show, and his head exploded. Red Guy broke his own reality, and I think that meant he woke up from his coma and came back to the real world, probably while a rerun of that television show they'd been watching was playing in the background. Hearing those same lines again made Red Guy realize that his world was not right, and that jarred him awake. Notice that the missing posters stop showing up once Red Guy leaves, because Red Guy was able to tell the hospital who they all were. Later, we have the ringing phone all throughout episode 5. That was Red Guy calling out to his friends who were still in comas and trying to talk them into waking up. No, he wasn't calling their rooms on a telephone. He was there calling out with his voice. And because Yellow Guy and Duck Guy were not ready to deal with that, their brains interpreted that as a telephone ringing. Well, at least Yellow Guy's brain did. We don't really know for sure how Duck Guy's brain perceived the whole thing. Rational thought is the enemy of the Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared show set thing that they're in. Take note what happens when Duck Guy tries to use rational thought. In episode two, Duck Guy tries to explain the concept of time only to have the clock start screaming at him with that eh, eh, eh. He got too close to realizing that he lived in an irrational world and the results of that would have been unpredictable and so his brain made the clock freak out so that he wouldn't question it and put himself in danger. In the same episode, there's also a line that goes something like, scrub, scrub, scrub till the water turns brown, which is actually what happens to water if you're washing off blood. That doesn't tend to happen if you're just washing off your dirt and sweat from the day. And turning a tub full of water brown would suggest there's a lot of blood, like from a major accident. In episode 5, Duck Guy answers the phone, aka he hears Red Guy speaking to them from the real world as a visitor in the hospital room. And as Duck Guy starts to figure out what's going on, the world he's in turns on him. Notice one of the last things that Duck Guy sees before leaving the kitchen are the legs of Red Guy, as if his consciousness was slipping back to him as he was leaving the fake coma dream world and the two were combining in his brain. Duck Guy wakes up, but he's on an operating table, probably getting a surgery done to repair some missed internal damage that occurred when the Sidon blew up. We see Duck Guy looking around a blurry room, and he sees the TV show that he's been living in. The entire time, he's placed himself living inside of this world that doesn't exist because his brain was listening to the TV and trying to give itself a sense of rhyme and reason by making Duck Guy and his friends characters on that show they were hearing. And, of course, dreams rarely offer a lot of logic. So once Duck Guy was able to cognitively poke holes in that fake world... 
He came to the real world, drugged out of his mind on an operating table and having no idea what was happening. When the meat character appears in episode five, he pokes Duck Guy with a fork and it hurts him, which could easily equate to a scalpel cutting him in surgery. Duck Guy even says, something's wrong. And later, I need to go. The trauma of going into this surgery was enough to finally jar his mind awake. And if you can't guess, I'd say Duck Guy died during that procedure, which left Yellow Guy alone in the comatose world to only imagine what had happened. Now, while I don't think all three characters were having the same dream and seeing the same things, I do believe that they were all aware of each other's presence. So they could either hear each other breathing or they could hear each other's machines working or something. Something happened to tell Yellow Guy that he was alone now. And in the mind of Yellow Guy, Duck Guy left because Yellow Guy had eaten him, which seems crazy, but our subconscious minds will fill in gaps in some crazy ways. I had a relative who was hospitalized and not in a good frame of mind, and at 70-something years old, she believed that she was going to go to jail for raping the male nurses. Because in her mind, she saw these hot guys and her brain took it from there in some crazy way. So you would be surprised at what people's brains can come up with. Then we see Yellow Guy refusing to answer the phone in episode five. That's Yellow Guy trying to ignore the voice of Red Guy talking to him. And Yellow Guy is shown to be terrified of death in episodes two and three. That's because somewhere in his brain, he's aware of what has happened to his body and his mind fears that he'll die if he tries to wake up. So it's trying to protect him by keeping him in that coma. I think there's support shown for this too when you look at the photo album Yellow Guy is crying into in episode six. There's a picture of Duck Guy waving in the sunlight. He's waving goodbye because he's crossed over to a better place. He's happy now. Then Red Guy is shown as graduating, meaning he's also moved on with his life and left the comatose world. Yellow Guy doesn't even have a solo photo. He's stuck right where he is. Then there's a black and white photo of Roy, looking like he's about to get the best pedophile in the universe title. Now, as youth fades... People start feeling regretful and nostalgic towards their younger days, which is where Roy comes in, I think. I don't think Roy is actually there in the comatose world. I think he's the manifestation of Yellow Guy's guilt towards never having a good relationship with his father. That's why Roy is so creepy, because he pains Yellow Guy to think about. Yellow Guy remembers his dad negatively because of their poor relationship, which caused Michael to run away. But it still hurts Yellow Guy that they could never be friends or, you know, develop past the pain. But in Yellow Guy's world, they can be good friends. And they even have pictures together on display. That Roy is a representation of the dad that Yellow Guy always wanted. But he's also wrapped up in the bad memories that Yellow Guy can't forget. And that might be why Roy doesn't speak. Yellow Guy can't remember his voice anymore. It's been too long. In episode two, when Roy is introduced, Yellow Guy later says that his dad is a computer. Obviously, Roy's a humanoid something and not a computer. So why say something so wrong again? Well, check out the last few minutes of episode six. Red Guy has moved on with his life, but he's floundering in the real world. He remembers living in this insanely interesting place before, 
but he doesn't know how to represent it in a way that anyone else can appreciate. So feeling like a failure, Red Guy returns to visit his coma patient friend, Yellow Guy, in the hospital, and he stares at the machine keeping Yellow Guy alive. This machine, a computer that has been sustaining Yellow Guy's life for years, suddenly has Roy appear from the darkness, giving Red Guy permission to pull the plug. The regret of never reconciling with his father caused Yellow Guy to attach his love as a son to the only thing that ever supported him in his life. His actual life support machine. That's why Yellow Guy says, my dad is a computer. And not being able to wake up and see what's going on, I think Yellow Guy may be lumping in his life support machine and the television in his hospital room. And that's why Red Guy finds the two items combined. It's what Yellow Guy envisions that that system looks like. Now, in the comatose world, Yellow Guy knows that the imaginary coma world is giving out in episode 6. And he's ready to pass on. That's why he's afraid of the dreams lamp. He does not want to be distracted or tormented anymore. He wants to leave that world behind like his friends did. And what happens when Yellow Guy refuses to go along with the comatose world any longer? His bed turns into oil and he starts sinking. He's drowning again, just like he did on board the HMS Sidon. Notice that the same type of oil gets poured onto Yellow Guy's painting in episode one. So he seems to be almost haunted by this stuff. But then as Yellow Guy is drowning in his bed, the singing characters keep changing and Yellow Guy is refusing to go with the flow of insanity any longer, which is making him suffer more. Some of the characters that pop up are new characters. We've never seen them before. And we're told that the characters are changing because Red Guy is fiddling with the buttons. Or more likely, he's changing the channels on a nearby television station, trying to find a station that calms Yellow Guy down over making him seem more distressed in his coma state. Here's where some details are extra important. Just before this scene, Red Guy is on stage and he has abandoned his clothes on his chair. A minute or so later, what manifests in place of those clothes? Roy. And who comes up to the machine, knowingly patting Red Guy's shoulder? Roy again. Why? I don't think Roy is ever physically there. I think Red Guy is accepting the fact that he has become like Yellow Guy's psychological father. Visiting him in the hospital, listening to him suffer, trying to help him but getting nowhere... Red Guy is the only person left to take care of Yellow Guy. Red Guy realizes that he's metaphorically Yellow Guy's father, and he decides to pull the plug on Yellow Guy's life support, hoping the desperate action will either wake his friend up or set him free. And they are in yet another kitchen, but this one has a door. Yellow Guy, now I guess Green Guy, can walk out anytime that he's ready now. But we get left on a cliffhanger, not knowing what choice he'll ultimately make. But now I believe that Yellow Guy has the option to go through that door and find out if it means that he gets to wake up or pass on. Thanks for watching this video. And if you liked it, I hope you'll like, subscribe, and check out what other videos are on my channel. Please definitely subscribe though, so that way you'll be notified when I make new videos. And if you really, really, really want to help me out, please share this video with people that you think would enjoy watching it. Thanks again!